We are continuing a series we've been in now for a couple of weeks called You Were Made For. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but there really are some unbelievable things that have been created and made just by accident. Did you know that? Some unbelievable things have been discovered accidentally, created accidentally. Like how many of y'all like chocolate chip cookies? Chocolate chip cookies, anybody here like some chocolate chip cookies? I love chocolate chip cookies. Did you know that they were invented by accident? They really were. The first batch was made in 1930 by a lady by the name of Ruth Graves Wakefield. And uh, she was the co-owner of a place called Toll House Inn. And so she was trying to make some chocolate cookies for her guest when she realized she was out of Baker's chocolate. And so old Ruth was quick on her feet, and she decided she was going to cut up a block of Nestle semi-sweet chocolate, thinking that it would melt evenly amongst the batter. But instead, what came out of that oven was the first batch of chocolate chip cookies and modern dessert has never been the same. It's a beautiful accident. What about this? How many of y'all like potato chips? You like those potato chips? I love me some potato chips. You dip them in the ranch. You get that anybody know, wavy lays. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Mm, it's lunchtime too. Uh, man, I, I love me some potato chips. You know they were created by accident. They really were. What happened was in 1853, a chef in New York City named George Croom, uh, he actually had this annoying customer who kept sending back his French fried potatoes. He kept saying, hey, these are way too soggy. These are way too soggy. These are way too soggy. Soggy. And what happened was the chef kind of got uh, annoyed by it. You know what I mean? So what he did was he chopped up some potatoes real fine, and he fried them until they were basically burnt and then doused them with salt thinking that he was really going to, you know, stick it to this guy. But instead, the annoying customer really, really loved it. And again, what ended up being the very first serving of potato chips was done by accident. It was a mistake. But some of us actually think that we're a mistake. Some of us actually think that we are an accident and that maybe if we're really, really lucky that we'll end up becoming something great, that maybe we'll end up doing something great. But I want you to know that you are not an accident. None of us are an accident. Even if your parents weren't planning on having you, even if you weren't planning on having your child, no one who has ever lived on planet earth or anyone who is currently living on planet earth is an accident. The psalmist said it best in Psalm 139 verse 13. He said this about God. He said, for you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We've said this every week, but God made you. He made me. He made each and every one of us. He didn't make us by mistake. He didn't make us on accident. He made us on purpose for a purpose and with a purpose. He made us for certain things. And so what we've been doing in this series is we've been talking about some of those things we were made for. We started off the series saying, hey, we were made for Christ. Now, why do we say that? Because Romans 11 verse 36 says this. It says, for you, for, all, for from him and through him and for him, all things were made. That verse again, Romans 11 36. I'll put it on the screen for you here and just say it. But Romans 11 36, you were made. You, all things were made for who? Christ. You and I are part of the all things that's listed right there. And so last week we said you were made for impact. You were made to make a difference in this world. And the Apostle Paul certainly 
did that. He influenced the people around him. The Apostle Paul was so influential, he even influenced people while he was in prison. See, we've been looking at the book of Philippians throughout this entire study, but what I want you to understand is that the book of Philippians actually isn't a book at all. It's a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison, in prison, and he was not just in a regular prison, he was in the imperial prison, in the palace prison. And so he's chained between palace guards. And if you remember last week, what we said was, is that the palace guard was actually known as the kingmakers of their day. If anyone was going to become an emperor, if anyone was going to rise to power, they did it with the help of the palace guard. They were the most influential people of their day. And so as they're guarding the apostle Paul, Paul begins to tell the, 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 the palace guard, he begins to tell the palace guard his story. He begins to tell the palace guard about meeting Jesus and the difference that Jesus had made in his life. And they begin to watch Paul as he's writing this letter and they ask Paul, hey, what are you writing? Who are you writing to? Why are you writing this? And as the palace guards listen to Paul day in and day out, their lives begin to change. This letter not only changed the palace guards' lives, but it also changed the Philippian church and gave them confidence to stand boldly for Christ. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about you were made for confidence. You were made for confidence. Now, to really talk about this idea of being made for confidence, I want to start in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in the very first verse, but as you're maybe turning there in your Bibles, let me give you a little bit more background to what's happening here. The book or the letter of Philippians was written by who? We've already said it. Paul, right? It was written by Paul. Well, Paul used to be known as a guy by the name of Saul. And if you don't know anything about Saul, let me tell you, Saul was the leader of a terrorist organization. Saul was something of the leader of an organization like what you and I might call ISIS today. Saul, what he would do is he would kill Christians. He would torture Christians. He would behead Christians and imprison Christians. Who were, he would imprison people who were followers of the way. Where does that phrase come from? It comes from what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, where he says this. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Well, Saul and all of his, his group, they didn't believe that the only way to God was through Jesus Christ. They didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And so Jesus and his followers threatened their way of life. Jesus and his followers threatened their own power and their own authority, and so that meant that they had to go. That meant that they had to be taken out. And I don't mean like taken out on a date. I mean literally they were going to kill Christians. And so one day, Saul is leaving the highest council of his day with orders in hand. He has a written order to continue to kill Christians, specifically in the area of Damascus. And so as Paul is on his way to Damascus, this bright light shines. It's so bright, it knocks Saul down. And from that bright light, this voice comes out and says, Saul, Saul. That's my God voice. I don't know if that's really what he said. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul has this moment as he's on his way to kill followers of Jesus. He has this moment where he meets the risen Jesus Christ. He meets him and he has to take some time to do some thinking. 
And so for the next couple of years, he spends some time learning in Christian community. In the Christian community, they start helping him to make sense of it all. And they're like, Saul, the one that you have heard about, the one who walked on water, the one who fed the multitudes with just a little sack lunch, the one who stuck his finger in oozing sores of leprosy, and, and those, those sores, those molecules rearranged themselves, and those individuals were healed, the one who talked about this life, and not this, just this life, but a life to come, that one was God on earth. And so after a couple of years of getting all the pieces and putting all the pieces together and his, his heart being made new, he starts to go places telling people his story. So can you imagine the crowds of people that showed up when Paul was speaking? The head of this terrorist organization gives his life to Christ. Can you imagine if what was to happen, if, if the leader of ISIS was to give his life to Christ, and in two weeks from now, he was going to be right here at Elevate Church giving his testimony, talking about what God had done to him. Do you think that there would be a parking problem outside? Just so many people trying to come and hear about it from all over, not just Vicksburg. There would be a park. The news would be out here seeing what's going on. They, they would want to hear about this. And so Paul is showing up telling people how he used to kill Christians, how he would torture them. But he meets Jesus, and he spends time in city after city. And as he's in those cities, those churches there begin to grow. And he begins to plant church after church after church all around the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. And so Rome starts to hate this guy. See, they loved Paul when, when he was killing Christians. They actually applauded him. Hey, good job. But when Paul shows up and starts saying that there's only one God and that God is not Caesar, that's when they say, hey, you know what? We've had enough. This guy has to go. And so Paul finds himself in prison because numerous people actually want to kill him. And while he's in prison, he writes this powerful letter. And so let's start in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1. Everybody there? Yeah. Amen. Y'all got your Bibles? It's on your phone. It'll be on the screen. Here we go. Here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I'm reading this, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, there's certain verses that I just kind of skim over. Anybody else, you kind of do that? I want to get to the good stuff, right? I want to get to the good stuff. And so this kind of seems like non-essential information. You know what I mean? My mind is tempted to really just scroll right past that. But what you've got to understand is that in these two verses, there are also two questions that basically develop in my mind. And the first question is, are the type of people, are you and I, are you and I the type of people who can take something from the book of Philippians? Are we those type of people? See, this, this, this book, this letter was not written to us. It's not the Elevadians. It's not the Elevator Church. It's not the, the book. It's not that. It's the book of Philippians. And so this book was written to people who have Philippian-style faith, Philippians-type followers. And so we have to ask ourselves, hey, if we're able to claim something from that, if we're able to claim something from this book, are we Philippian-type people? See, the Bible was not written to you. It was not written to me. It was not written to us. It was written for us, okay? 
And God has not gotten smarter over the years. He has not gotten wiser over the years. He has not changed. He has not figured people out better over the years. The way that God deals with people now is the same way that God dealt with people then. The way that God dealt with people then is the same way that God deals with people now. And so Paul is writing to a group of Philippian believers, and he's about to show us what Philippian-style faith looks like. He's about to show us their confidence. And if we're going to claim what is written in this book, we got to ask ourselves again, do we look like this type of Christian? So for the rest of the time we got together, I want us to look at four questions, four questions that can lead to godly confidence, four questions that will help you and help me again have godly confidence. If you're keeping notes, you want to write them down. The first question is this, what do I want to be known for? What do I want to be known for? Do you see the title that Paul uses in that first verse? Look at what he says in verse 1. He says this, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus. That's, what he, that's how he refers to himself. Now, i got to be honest with you. If, if I'm Paul, I'm wondering, man, why in the world did you choose this title? I mean, you could have said a whole lot of other things, right? He could have said, I, Paul. Former terrorist, you know what I mean? That would have got my attention. He could have said, ah, Paul, national leader, because Paul was one of the 72 leaders who made up their type of Supreme Court in his day. That would have got my attention. Ah, Paul, who can pack out a house better than anybody. That would have got my attention. Ah, Paul, church planner extraordinaire. That would have got my attention. But he says, you know what I'm going to go with? Ah, Paul, slave of Jesus Christ. Christ. Why does he do that? You know why he does that? Because that's the only title that's going to last. That's the only title that will last. All the other titles are temporary. What is it you want to be known for? What is it that you want your reputation to be based off of? What is it that you want people to say about you when you are not around? You want them to say that you're a great mom? That you're a great dad? That you're a successful businessman, that you're a great friend, that you're a great husband, that you're a great wife, that you're just a great person, that you are super talented, that you are successful. There's nothing wrong with those titles. Those things are not bad. They're just less than because they're temporary titles and they're temporary things. They're, they're temporary. See, you may not have spent a whole lot of time in your life thinking about what I want to be known for, but you really ought to spend some time thinking about that question because it's the answer to that question that will dictate the decisions that you make in your life. Whatever it is that you want to be known for, that is your goal. So what is it that you want to be known for? I remember several years ago, I got a letter from another pastor here in town, and the way that he signed his letter at the end was he called himself and referred to himself as the most holy reverend. I thought, well, the most holy reverend wrote me a letter. I thought about writing him a letter back and signing it Master P because I'm a, I got a master's degree, so master pastor, master P. Uh, and some of y'all don't know nothing about that. I thought about doing that, right? thought about doing that. But Paul could have out-titled all of us. But he doesn't pull out any of those titles. All he says is, I, Paul, slave of Christ Jesus. Man, isn't that good? What is it that you want to be known for? 
I remember when my nephew, my nephew, he's an adult now, but I remember when he was a little kid. And my mom called me one day and said, man, your nephew, Matthew, he said he wants to be just like you when he grows up. He wants to be a pastor when he grows up. And I was like, oh, I want to be just like you. And then my mom said what he said after that. I said, yeah, if Uncle Robert can do it, anybody can do it. I was like, what? That's a true story. But again, what do you want to be known for? Is it a temporary title? Please don't tell me that you are selling short for something that's only going to last 60 or 80 years. Your occupation may be welder, it may be electrician, it may be nurse, it may be teacher, it may be dental assistants. I don't have any idea, but that shouldn't be what you are known for because you are eternal. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them you are going to live forever. Now tell the person you really didn't want to say that to. You're going to live forever too. You're going to live forever. So what is it? What is it that you want to be known for? Paul says we are servants of Christ. And in verse 2 he goes on to say this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right after his title though, and right before this kind of greeting right here, he says something else that you and I might be tempted just to read right over. But look at what he says. Look at verse 1 again. He says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Who is this letter written to? To all the what? Saints. To all the saints. And so that leads me to the second question that I got for you this morning, and that is, how do I really see myself? What do I want to be known for? Then how do I really see myself? Paul says, here's my title. I want to be a servant. But let me remind you, church, of who you are as a follower of Christ. As a follower of Christ, not just somebody who comes to church on Sunday, not just somebody who says, hey, I better identify with the beliefs of the Christian religion better than any of the other world religions, but somebody who is actually following Christ. Paul says, if you are actually following Christ, let me remind you who you are. You are a saint. You are a saint. Can you imagine this church reading this letter and they see the description that Paul calls them, that you are a saint? How do you really see yourself? See, there's this little saying in churches everywhere. People say, hey, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And when people say that, people say, amen, but no, you're not. You're you're not. And it's really important that you and I get this. If you are saved... If you are saved, God doesn't see you as a sinner. God sees you as holy. He sees you as consecrated. He sees you as set apart. You are a priest of a royal priesthood. You are adopted into the family of God. You are a follower of Christ. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High King. You are a son, an heir to the throne. There's royal blood running through your veins. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he sees you differently. You're the most loved, most dangerous person and most valuable person on the face of this earth. Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. Have you accepted that? Or are you allowing the sins of your past to create lies about your present? You hear that? Have you accepted who God says that you are? I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Have you accepted who God says you are, or are you allowing your past to create lies about your present? You're still a sinner. No, you're not. See, God 
looks at me and says, Robert, I don't even remember you from 1981 through 1995. That was B.C., before Christ. He, I don't even know who you were. I lost those books. That's what he says. He separates our sin is from us as far as the east is from the west, right? He, he forgets our sin when we, become, when we become a follower of him. So, so here's the thing. Do you really understand who God says that you are? You are a saint. And when you get who you are, when you get who God calls you, not what your past lies about you, but when you really understand who you are in Christ, it's easy to become a servant, right? Like none of us actually like that term slave or servant. We don't. It's demeaning, right? I mean, we like the idea of people thinking that we are a servant, but we don't want them to treat us like a servant, right? Be, be real. How many of y'all have ever asked somebody, hey, is there anything I could do for you? Anybody ever asked? And then somebody actually said, yeah, you could do this. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was just asking to be nice. I mean, I, wanna, I want you to think I'm a servant, but I don't really want to be a servant, right? That's, that's, how, that's how we are, though, right? That's really how we are. Again, we like people to think we're servants, but we just don't want to be treated like one. But listen to me. When you understand who you are in spite of what you deserve, because you do understand God doesn't give you what you deserve. Do you know that? God doesn't give us what we deserve. We deserve death. We deserve hell. But instead, God gives us forgiveness. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. When you understand that God hasn't given us what we deserve, it becomes very easy to serve. See, the way that you approach serving all depends on who it is that you are serving. If I was to tell you guys that I got a phone call from somebody in New Orleans this past week and they invited me to come to New Orleans next week for a private get-together and three people were going to be there. Three people were going to be there. The three people were going to be there were going to be Drew Brees, going to be Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Marky Mark. You know what I mean? Mark Wahlberg. How many of y'all think that would be great? It doesn't matter what you think, right? Uh, anyway, but I mean, it would be great. It'd be great. I mean, I, hey, it'd be unbelievable. And so what if I said, hey, look, I got invited to this thing, and they've told me that I can invite somebody else. They've told me that I can invite somebody else. Uh, but look, here's the deal. I'm going to need you to come, but you can't sit down at the table with us. But here's what we really need. We need you to, like, bring us drinks, to bring us appetizers, just to kind of serve us. How many of y'all be like, well, yeah, I'd, like to, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. Anybody? You know, one person here? Some of y'all are like, I don't want to admit it, but I do like The Rock. Uh, you know what I'm saying? But again, you like that. You like that. You like, I mean, we'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd love to do that. You'd love to be a servant there. Being a servant is not bad. It just depends on who it is that you're going to serve. The problem is most of us would get more excited about the possibility of serving Drew Brees than we do about serving Jesus Christ. It's true. Paul says, I know who I'm a servant of. Because I know who I was. I used to be somebody who killed Christians, and God saved me. So I will faithfully serve that God who changed my life. See, I'd love to tell you I was having dinner with those individuals next week, but I'm not. And you'll never serve those individuals. But I just tell you that story to illustrate that you and I have a higher calling. You and I have a higher calling calling and and we've got a, a higher title we're called to serve someone greater so how do you see yourself question number three that I want you to see this morning is where am I partnering with God 
What do I want to be known for? Who, how do I really see myself? And where am I partnering with God? Paul says, here's my title. It's a servant because he made me a saint. And now he says again, let me remind you guys in the church about really who you are. He says, you have partnered with me from the very beginning, since the very beginning. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this. Some translations say I am confident, being confident of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about you, Paul says, because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. Paul says, you've partnered with me in everything. You've shared with me in everything. You shared in the establishment of the gospel. You shared in the defense of the gospel. You have partnered with me since day one. Where are you partnering with God? See, I wonder sometimes if we realize that in this Bible, in the Bible that we have, that God has given us all the answers. Do we know that? Do you know that God has given us all the answers? Jesus loves us way too much to let us go through life uninformed. He really does. And so Jesus tells us actually what will happen when we die. He says God's going to ask us a series of questions, and he, he, actually, he actually tells us what those questions are. You know, he, he wants us, again, to be prepared. If you don't know what's going to happen after you die, it's because you didn't read the book. Amen? It's because you didn't read the book. God loves us way too much for us not to, not to have the answers. And so one time, somebody asked Jesus, is it, hey, Jesus, tell us what heaven is going to be like. And Jesus said, okay, it's going to be like this. And he makes up this fictional story to illustrate a point. He said, it's going to be like a guy who's got a lot of servants. The guy got a lot of servants, and he's going to leave them to go to a foreign country to be made king. And before he leaves, he's going to line up each and every one of his servants, and he's going to give each servant a sum of money. You can read all about this in Luke chapter 19. But he gives his servants money, and he says, look, when I come back, I want to see what you've done with my money. I want to see what you have done with what is valuable to me. I want to see what you've done with it. And so he leaves, and he's made king, and one day he's going to return. But he leaves, and when he returns, he, he says, hey, I want to I see what you guys have gained with my possessions. I want to see what you have gained. That is the point of the story. Jesus says, hey, this is what heaven's like. Guys, I'm with you right now, but I'm going to leave. And one day I'm going to come back. One day I'm going to come back. And when I do, I want to see what you have gained with this life that I have given you. Let me, ask, let me ask each of you a question. Has it ever dawned on you that Jesus believes in you way more than you believe in him? You ever thought about that? Jesus believes in you way more than you believe in him. God entrusts us with his kingdom. He gives us the keys to his kingdom. How many of y'all got a house? You live somewhere? How many of y'all got a house key? Do you give everybody a house key? Who do you give a house key to? Only people you trust, right? And I mean like really trust. Some of y'all are like, I ain't even giving my wife a key, man. She ain't getting it. You know what I'm saying? They want to be somebody that you really, that you really, really trust. Well, God trusts us with the keys 
to heaven, the keys to his kingdom. He believes in us much more than we believe in him. He says, here's the church. Here is life. Here is possession. Here is talents, time. Here's something. I want you to do something to build my kingdom. And he says, when I come back, I can't wait to see what you've done. You are plan A. You're plan A for your family. You're plan, plan A for your neighborhoods. You're plan A for your workplace. You are plan A for this world. Jesus says, one day I'm coming back, and whatever you've done for the kingdom, that's how I'm going to bless you in heaven. That's how I'm going to bless you in heaven. See, there is a reward system and a hierarchy in heaven. Do you know that? There's no equality. The Bible doesn't teach equality in heaven. Jesus says everything, everything in the afterlife is based off of what you do here. And he says, if I can't trust you with 80 years here, what am I going to be able to trust you with for all eternity? What am I going to be able to trust you with for all eternity? Paul understood this. And, and he wants this church to understand that. And so he writes to this church telling them, hey, you guys have been partnering with me since the beginning. You share in everything that I do. And that's why you can be confident, Paul says. Paul says you can be confident that you are working with God. You can be confident that God is doing amazing things in your life because I see evidence of it is what Paul says. I wonder if you were able to sit down with Jesus just for one minute, just for one minute, and he showed up and asked you, hey, how are you doing prepping for this final exam? And you know what it is. You know what God's going to ask. You know what he's going to ask. What are, what are you doing that partners with me? If God was to ask that, Jesus was to ask that, what would you show him? What would you be able to show him? Paul says again, this Philippian church partnered with him from the first day until now. Where are you partnering with God? Was it from the first day until the second day? Was it from the first day that you became a Christian until maybe five years ago? Was it from the first day until maybe a year ago? Was it from the first day until you got busy and really distracted and had to do something else? Or have you been partnering with God from the first day until now? Where am I partnering with God? Where? The fourth question and the last question I got for you is when it really comes to having godly confidence, is this, where am I impacting and encouraging others? Where am I impacting and encouraging others? See, when Jesus had all of his disciples together, he was talking to his followers, and he said, hey, you know what? You're called to be the light. You are called to be seen. You're called to attract people to a life that is different. You are called to have a lifestyle that is bright. How many of y'all know what this is? Flashlight. How many of y'all? Wake up, moms. I know y'all didn't get any sleep last night. You're like, I came to church to sleep. This preacher's so boring, and now he's got a light shining. I'm never coming back. But anyway, let me ask y'all a couple questions about this flashlight. Is it still working? Okay. All right. Is this, just a real simple question, does this light shine brighter in the daytime or in the darkness? No. Shines the same no matter if it's day or night. It's got the same amount of lumens. You guys are crazy. I thought y'all were smart. I went to Pearl and I know that. All right. Let me ask another 
Let me ask another question. Can you see this light better in the daylight or in the darkness? Some of you are like, I'm not answering the question. <laughs> Try to make me look dumb. I'm not going to do it. You can see it better in the darkness, right? You really can't really can see it in the darkness. It gives off the same amount of light in the daylight as it does in the darkness, but you can see it so much better in the darkness. Look at what Paul says in chapter 1, and we looked at these verses last week, but they're still amazing. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message. Man, Paul says, I don't want to be in prison. I hadn't planned on being in prison. But being here has worked out all right for me. I hadn't, bland, I hadn't planned on being in prison. Boy, am I able to shine bright in this prison. Because the whole temple guard is hearing about Jesus. Not only is the whole temple guard hearing about Jesus, but, man, believers who are outside are hearing about what's happened to me. And they're becoming more bold and confident in their walk with Christ. Paul didn't want to be in prison but he knew what his title was. What was it? Servant, slave of Christ Jesus. And so that meant that no matter what his situation was, he was going to let this light shine bright. He was going to let this light shine bright. And because he let this light shine bright, he impacted the people all around him. Here's what I know about each and every one of us. Sometimes life gets us down. Sometimes there are situations and circumstances that happen Sometimes we feel betrayed. Things get us down with our health, with relationships. And man, you don't, you, don't want to, you don't want to lose somebody that you love, but we experience loss. We don't want to experience that type of pain and that type of hurt. But let me tell you, if your goal is to be a servant of Jesus Christ, you're going to be able to shine bright in that situation. You're going to be able to shine brighter in that situation than you ever could in a successful moment in your life. See, as followers of Christ, as Christians, we don't want the darkness. We don't go searching for darkness. We don't ask for it. But when it comes our way, if we understand our title is servant of Christ, I pray that just how Paul was, he was able to say, hey, man, this really has turned out good for others. Maybe when you're sick and you're on your deathbed, you're able to say, hey, man, I didn't want this. Man, but people sure are gathered around this this bed here, and they're able to hear about my Jesus. Maybe right now, again, you're going through something tough, and there are a lot of people who are reaching out to you, and you're able to say in this moment, man, I didn't want this to happen. But, man, people now are hearing about my Jesus. I'm a servant of Christ. That's my title, and this must be the position I'm supposed to play. And as I'm going through difficulty, again, I'm able to be a light and influence and impact people. Paul was able to do that. He understood his darkness. and His time in jail was impacting so many people. Paul was confident. He was confident that he who began a good work in him and also in the church in Philippians 
that he who had began that good work would carry it on until completion. Folks, you and I can have that kind of confidence if we know whose we are. And if we understand that God really is trying to do something amazing in our life, we can have the type of confidence that Paul had and the type of confidence he tried to inspire the Philippian church to have. Have you figured out the answer to these questions in your life? Because if so, it'll lead you to a confidence like you've never experienced. A confidence that can look the enemy in the face and say, bring your worst because I have the best. A confidence that can look the enemy in the eye and say, hey, you know what? You might be trying to destroy me, but God is building his kingdom. You might be trying to bring me down, but you're messing with the child of the most high God. You can have confidence even in the dark times in your life. Do you know that today? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. I know we're all in different places. But I wonder today if maybe you're here and you've been believing the lie about your past. I mean, you're a follower of Jesus. But man, that old devil keeps trying to remind you of something and pull you down. And you'd say, Pastor, please pray for me that I'll be able to let that go so that I'll be able to embrace who I really am. That's a child of God. If you say, Pastor, pray for me, I'm going to ask that you just raise your hand right where you are. Amen, amen, amen. A lot of hands, amen, amen. Father, we want to lift these individuals up to you. Father, I pray that you would give them a confidence like no other, a godly confidence to understand that they are who you say they are, not who this world says they are, not who the enemy says they are. As we continue to pray, though, this morning, also wonder if maybe you're here today and you know for a fact that you're just not a child of God. You've never taken a moment to really surrender your life to him. Man, he's brought you here today to give you an opportunity to do that. Today you can be adopted into the family of God. And if you'd say, hey, you know what? I want to do that. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to become a child of the Most High King. I'm going to ask it right where you are. You just pray this prayer. Father, today, please forgive me for all of my sin. Father, I pray that you would make me into a new person. Help me forget all the stuff that happened B.C. before Christ coming into my life. Mold me into a new person. Father, today I confess you as Lord and I confess you as Savior. And I pray that you'll empower me with your Holy Spirit to follow you all the days of my life. Again, nobody's looking around. But if you prayed to receive Christ today, I'm going to ask that you do me a favor, that you just lift your hand. You prayed to become a child of God today. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you for new life. Father, we thank you for the three prayed to receive Jesus this morning in our nine o'clock service and we thank you for the four who did it this evening God I just want to thank you that you're still in the miracle working business Father you are still in the life changing business and I pray that you would help us all to have confidence today that we are your child I pray all this in the precious name of Jesus